0: So excited about the fact that you're here, and more than that, the work God is doing in the lives of the people in our church. And um, as we move through this uh, sermon series, Hebrews, the subtitle is Jesus is Better. And um, every day we're finding more and more that it's not just a, a clever Christian phrase, but that that's a true reality in our lives, that when we find that Jesus is better, captives are set free, and joy is experienced, and brokenheartedness is healed, and... Um, all across our church right now, on one hand, because we still live and, and operate within a fallen world, there's brokenness, there are tragedies, there are um, struggles, there are um, all sorts of things happening. But on the other hand, uh, folks are being set free. Um, broken-hearted people are finding healing in the fact that Jesus is better. Um, just this week, received an email from a young lady in our church, and I won't give away the names, but this, this young lady's been in church her whole life and, and knows all about Jesus and the gospel, and, and has memorized many scriptures, but um, a week ago, or this past Monday, um, finally realized the truth of the gospel personally, and trusted G- in Jesus and Jesus alone for her salvation, and that's happening all over the place. I'm um, getting emails from folks. I'll actually share another story with, with you in just a moment about a young man who's going to be baptized in our second service today, and so all that to say that the songs we sing, and the 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 phrases that we say, they mean something. They have substance to them. Jesus truly is better. And that is the invitation to become a Christian, to find that despite what the world may offer you or what you may be ambitious for yourself and thinking that this will bring me pleasure, this will bring me security, this will bring me freedom. If you will truly trust in Jesus, you will find too that Jesus is better than anything else in heaven and on earth. And so... Uh, This morning as we get ready to move through a few more verses in Hebrews 10, we're not going to make it this far as I originally thought, we're going to make it through verse 25, uh, but that's okay. Um, We're going to look at this invitation now to draw near. And the invitation to draw near to God is really a rich theme that is sprinkled all throughout your Bible. If you look at the Bible as a story in itself, we find that in the beginning, man and woman created in the image of God to reflect his image here on earth, uh, walking in sweet fellowship. Matter of fact, the first symptom of the fall in the garden when Adam and Eve sinned, at that moment, a shadow of sin and death was cast across every future generation that we would all be born underneath that experience of sin and death at the same time and I would say probably even one of the more prominent symptoms of the fall is that the relationship between man and God is now severed the very first thing we see is God comes walking in the cool of the morning to walk in sweet fellowship with Adam and Eve and Adam and Eve are hiding hiding themselves from each other and hiding from God. And we see that fellowship, that sweetness of fellowship, that you and I were created to walk in with God was severed. And, and so then we, as we watch the story unfold throughout the Old Testament... We've been looking at the temple a lot lately and the covenants that God made in the Old Testament. Ultimately, what we see is that the temple that housed the Holy of Holies, the place where God's presence would reside, was not necessarily to keep man away from God, but God saying, I still want to be near you. The problem is, I, I can't be because of your sin, so I have to veil my presence from you. But this heart expression from God, I want to be near my people. All throughout the Old Testament, we find this promise from God saying, I want those who are not my people to be my people. Those who don't act like my people, those who don't walk and live and talk like my people, I want them to be my people. Matter of fact, in Isaiah 7, whenever the prophet is speaking about the Messiah to come, the rescuer who would come, in, uh, in Isaiah 7, he says, Here's how you'll know who the Messiah is. He'll be born of a virgin. His name shall be called Emmanuel. And then the Gospel of Matthew introduces Jesus to us, baby Jesus, and says what? His name should be called Emmanuel, which means God with us, because God desires to be with us. So We look at the end of your Bible in Revelation 21. This is also just a... Uh, A a quick shout out to the series that's coming. We're going to be walking through the book of Revelation starting in September. Um, But if you go to Revelation 21, just a few verses, we find that in the end, after the appearance of the new heaven, the new earth, the new Jerusalem has descended. uh, Revelation 21.3 says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his People And God himself will be with them as their God. So we see this theme all throughout the Bible, this desire from God to be with his people. In Hebrews, so far in the first 10 chapters, that's come up quite a bit. God making a way for us to what? To draw near. To enter into the presence of God. No longer having to trust the priest to do it for us. We've now been invited in. And so today we're going to be looking specifically at this invitation to draw near. This, uh, this phrase, draw near, appears seven times in the book of Hebrews. Draw near to God. Now, what we're going to see today is that invitation plays out personally, but it also plays out corporately, right? So on a personal level, as I follow Jesus in my individual life, when I'm by myself, when nobody else is around, I've been invited to draw near, into the very presence of God, to spend time with God, to commune with him, to share my heart with him, to hear from him, to be guided, led, corrected by him. Right on a personal level. That's my personal walk with the Lord. But at the same time, in a very beautiful way, we've been invited collectively to draw in and draw near. Starting in verse 19, Hebrews. Let's just read these verses today, then we'll come back and talk through them. Starting in Hebrews 10, verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened up for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promises faithful. Let us consider how to stir one another up or stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. This is where we're going this morning. If, uh, if you like to take notes, I want to remind you, we put the sermon notes um, in the backs of the chairs in front of you. Feel free to grab one of those. We're, we're also um, doing the fill in the blanks now, and I wanted to explain that for you. That's for those of you who like to take notes, but this is where our life group discussions come from. And so next week with life groups relaunching for the fall, um, this is something for you to write in and to say, this is what God is speaking to my heart. Here's how God is challenging me. Then take that into your life group and share that. So um, that's there, not just so that you have all the right answers, but so that you can truly think about and dwell and meditate on how God is speaking to your heart as we move through this passage. That being said, we're going to start in verse 19 and walk through it verse by verse. So we get this Therefore, anytime there's a therefore, we have to ask what? What's it there for? Meaning that whatever the author is writing about, it's built upon what has already been said. So for 10 chapters or 10 10 and a half chapters, the author of Hebrews has been saying what? Jesus is better and he's opened up this access into God's presence. Therefore, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, this... Confidence is a beautiful word. It means actually not just confidence, but a sense of boldness without hesitancy. It's a confidence that's rooted in and anchored in something that doesn't move. It's not just a momentary confidence where we muster up the confidence in one moment and, and then we rush into the presence of God. It's a confidence that's, that we're rooted in daily. We have this boldness and this confidence since we have it, To enter the holy places, the presence of God, by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that He opened up for us through the curtain that is through His flesh. Now, of course, in our in our modern culture there's this this idea that um, since we can't reconcile religion, since we can't reconcile our differences, then let's just shift to this mindset that says there are many ways to God and you just need to pick one. And so there's this new kind of version of, of universalism that's, that's, that's a hybrid of Christianity that says, well, I choose to go through Jesus, but you can choose another way. The problem with that is, is right here. There is only one way, right? And it's not for us to wave an arrogant flag to our culture and say, ha-ha, we found it, we have the only way. But it is in humility and desperation that we say, we have, we've actually found it we found the way into the presence of God, and it's only through the blood of Jesus. Only his sacrifice is enough. The wisdom of our, 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 the wisdom of our culture, the, right, the, the teachings of the most wise among us will never get us into the presence of God. It's only through the sacrifice of Jesus that we can enter in and have this personal relationship with God. Now, I think there's also a misunderstanding from within Christianity when it comes to our personal walk with the Lord that somehow God is lonely and needy. And so um, I hear this oftentimes in talking about um, our time with the Lord personally. There's this, there's this um, skewed mode of, you know, God's just going to be really upset if you don't spend time with him. Like, he's... He's the, he's the friend who's left out on the playground and nobody wants to spend time with him. His desire to spend time with us isn't based on his need or his loneliness. Like, we need to see that he's offered a beautiful invitation to us and a desire to spend time with us, not because we're worthy, not because he's lonely, but it's out of his character that he loves us unlovable folks like us. It's his character that drives him to say, hey, come come and spend time with me, especially those of you who are unworthy and undeserving and, and don't look like my people. It's his character, his grace, and his mercy say, come and commune with me. God's not the lonely kid on the playground hoping somebody will spend time with him. Every morning, the invitation is open. Come and commune with me. I'm the God of the universe. I don't, I don't need you, but I want you. It's different. Do you wake up like that, thinking that every morning? God wants to spend time with me. He desires to spend time with me. Now, the, an important thing, I think, for us to understand as we go forward, this invitation to draw near isn't an invitation into a come-and-go relationship. Another problem with the way we see relationships in our culture um, is, is this. It, we're kind of an easy-come, easy-go culture. So this invitation from God isn't, hey, when things get hard, let's hang out. Like we have friends like that, right? Where, right, whenever the bottom falls out and we don't know where to go, we we turn back to those friends, but then when things are good, we neglect. Maybe you're one of those friends and you feel that way. People turn to you when times are hard, but when things are good, right, they don't need you. And then we take that same idea and apply it to God. So thankful you're there when I need you, right? And we don't see this, the significance of this beautiful invitation to walk with God on a daily basis. Um, I can remember early on getting this, this whole invitation from God messed up. And I grew up, well, I didn't grow up in church, but when I came to church as a teenager, I was involved in a youth group. I was there for everything that they had to offer. You know, Wednesday nights, Sunday mornings, youth camps, the whole thing. And, uh, and, and, and there was this skewed message that was, that was spinning out of um, the leadership in that church that, um, that if I didn't spend time with God, that somehow I should feel shameful. And, and that was never said to me, but there was a whole lot of shame heaped up on those of us in the youth group if we couldn't come in on Wednesday night and show how every all seven days we had had our quiet times. And it, it was a very legalistic system. Now... Like, how would that work out for your marriage? If you had the checklist of, here's, here's where I need to pay a compliment, right? How would that work out for your friendships? If Okay, I need to check off the fact that we spent time together, we spent our seven minutes together in conversation this week, right? That's, that's not a relationship, that's a system. And that's what I understood God to be like, that my time with him was part of a system and I needed to have a, a checklist, and I needed to, be, to check, be able to check off. On Monday, I read my Bible And then I prayed for seven minutes, right? And I had my whole list of things that I did. I memorized this scripture. Now, all these things can be beautiful, helpful things in nurturing a relationship with God. But if we're not careful, right, we'll miss the relationship for a a religion. And so rather than being driven into the presence of God daily out of shame or guilt, what will people think if I haven't had my quiet time? I think it's more of a question of do you believe the gospel? Do you really believe that this invitation is on the table for you? How in the world could we pass up a daily invitation from the creator of the universe? Think about that. Think about it. So, So it's not about being able to check off my quiet time list. It's about saying, I've been invited in. Are you kidding me? The God of the universe has invited me in on a daily basis. How in the world could I pass that up? So the question I ask myself, oftentimes, if I'm struggling with that time or struggling to set aside that time, is do I really believe the gospel? I have to ask myself that question. I find myself halfway through the day, you know what, I haven't had my quiet time yet. All of a sudden I feel that shame coming back over me from a teenage, my teenage years and I have to stop and go, wait a second. This isn't a matter of guilt or shame. It's a question whether or not I believe the invitation. If I do, I'll drop everything that's going on right now. Right? There's nothing going on in my life that is more important than that. This invitation to draw near. And so the, the author of Hebrews in verses 19 through 22 wants to remind us since we have this beautiful access and invitation since Jesus has made this way in let us draw near verse 22 says let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water through the work that Jesus has done on my behalf I can walk in an intimate relationship with God I get to I've been invited to. Don't have to to impress my friends. I don't have to to check off the box in a system. I get to walk in a relationship with the creator of the universe through the work that Jesus has done on my behalf. Now, notice something in the language of how this is written there's a lot of plural pronouns here. Our hearts, our bodies, let us draw. Near. There isn't a distinction between my personal drawing near and our collective drawing near. That what is implied for me personally is implied for us corporately and collectively, which is really where these verses are going to talk about now. Let's talk about how we draw near together. So in the same way we've been invited in on a daily basis personally to walk with the Lord, we as his people have been invited into his presence to walk with him as his people. Verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Let us hold fast. This hold fast is a really beautiful word here that means to hold on to and protect something that has value and something that matters to you. So what is our confession? Let's talk about that. So confession is an outward expression of an inward belief or an inward sentiment, right? If we just confess something we don't believe on the inside, we call that lip service, right? And if we just believe something inwardly but we never confess it, it's nothing more than a notion or a sentiment. So there needs to be both here. The idea of a confession isn't that you just believe something inwardly. It's that you believe it so much, you trust it so much, that it comes out of your life. Um, baptism, which we'll be doing in the second service today, is a, is a beautiful confession. It's an, it's an inward belief and in faith, an inward interaction with God that is coming out publicly. And so here, what's being described is not just what we see in baptism, but that there's actually this outward verbal expression of what you believe inwardly. And this can happen in, in a number of different ways. It can happen Starbucks, sitting down over coffee with somebody, talking about the matters of life, and the opportunity opens up, and the Holy Spirit prompts you, and you begin to confess outwardly what you believe inwardly. I hear what you're you're struggling with. That just sounds really tough. Um, Could I share with you where I turn when life gets that hard for me? Here's where I turn. And then you just begin to share and confess outwardly what you believe inwardly. But there's another beautiful version of it, and it's when we get together collectively to confess together. This is what our songs are supposed to be. They're not just these emotional songs that stir us up and kind of warm us up for the sermon like We get to come in here on a weekly basis and express our confession together. I get to hear you sing it. I love it. When the band draws away from the mic, um, it's not for special effects. It's because that's the point of our worship, right? Is that we, with one voice, collecting our hearts together, saying, this is our confession. This is what we believe. This is what we hold dear. This is what we believe is true. It's a singular common confession among God's people and so we're to hold fast to this confession protect this confession and here the author is pointing us to when we come together let us hold fast to our confession the confession of our hope without wavering before we go any further this is why it's so important that we sing the gospel every time we get together it's one of, one of the many criteria through which our worship leaders filter the songs that we choose to sing. Now, not every song is going to have a, the full expression of the gospel in it, but every Sunday through what we sing from start to end, we're singing the gospel. We're singing it over each other. We're singing it over ourselves, right? Right? In so many ways, we're recalibrating our minds and our hearts to believe the truth again, despite what we may have heard on Wednesday or Thursday, right? All the, the influences of the world on our lives and how we think about things. We come back in here on Sunday mornings and we hit reset. We remind one another of what it is that we believe, and we hold fast together to the confession. Now, if we don't read the rest of the verse, though, it sounds like that everything about what we believe is dependent on our grip. So I, I, when, I, when I hear this call to hold fast, I think about water skiing. I grew up water skiing. And, and, and water skiing requires a lot of um, different muscle groups and, and abilities. But let me just say this. If you don't have grip strength, you're never going to make it up out of the water to learn all the rest of it. Holding fast means you hold on for dear life. If you've ever been water skiing, you know that almost inevitably every person who learns forgets to let go of the Right? And so there's this submarine effect. You know, the first time, they, you tell them, now you can't let go, you got to hang on tight. And then they fall and they hang on, it pulls them underwater and dr- almost drowns them. And, and so that's what I think about in my mind when I hear this. But there's a second part to this verse that explains more clearly what, what I believe we're being called to. So we hold fast to the confession of our hope. It means we take hold of it. We grab a hold of it without wavering. For he who promises is what? Faithful. My grip strength isn't Faithful. My ability to hold on to Jesus isn't faithful. So I reach out and take hold of that, which is already taking hold of me. He is faithful. It's this idea of parent to children, right? So if I'm here and my four-year-old reaches up for me to pull him up and I reach down and grab his hand, he's going to hold fast to me. But if I don't grab his hand, he's never going to be able to hold on tight enough for me to pull him up. So as we take hold of Jesus, what's beautiful is he is faithful to take hold of us. This is uh, expressed so beautifully in in many songs within our faith. Stephen Curtis Chapman, in a song that's entitled um, Hold On To Jesus, says, I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. I love that expression. This is what the author of Hebrews is calling us to, take hold of that for which takes hold of us. Rich Mullins, in a beautiful song, I don't know who he is, he's long since passed away, but he has these lyrics in a song. He says, I believe that what I believe is what makes me who I am. I did not make it, no, it is making me. It is the very truth of God and not the invention of any man. He's saying, I take hold of something that's actually taking hold of me. I didn't come up with it. I didn't invent it. I didn't make it. It's actually making me, making me new, making me more like Christ. And so there's this beautiful invitation to people who don't look like God's people to come take a hold of the hand of Jesus. And when you do, right, those of you who are Christians know this. In that moment, he does what? He grips back. He is faithful to take hold of you because there are going to be many moments when your strength is going to fail you when your ability to hang on is gonna fail you. Doubt is gonna come back against you. Temptations that you thought were long since gone are gonna come back and and cloud your vision and you're gonna be tempted, right? Prone to wonder, the song says. In those moments, right, like a little child, Jesus says, I what? I'll be faithful. I'm not gonna let go of you. And so if I were to pick my son up right now, I would feel him squeezing back, but let's just be honest, it's not his strength that binds us. It's my strength as his Father. So let us hold fast to the confession of our hope like a child reaching up to take a hold of the hand of the Father. Why? Because he who promised is faithful to hold us back. So how do we hold fast then to God's word? What does that look like? Going back to our confession, I think first of all it begins with trusting in God's word okay so I'm going to use the word trusting in God's word because that implies a whole lot if I just said reading God's word I could very easily talk be talking about a legalistic system there are lots of people in our world who read God's word some of them are atheists some of them are Christians some of them are atheists who think that they're Christians some of you know all over the board right just reading God's word isn't what we're after here but it's trusting in God's word I want to share with you just a, a brief snapshot of the testimony of a young man named Austin Grimes who will be baptized in our next service. Um, I asked him for permission to share part of his story, and, uh, and, and he gave it to me. And so um, Austin is a young man who's, who's had a lot of struggles in life, a lot of inward and internal struggles, um, struggled with um, gender identity and sexual orientation, and uh, this past year came to know Jesus as a Savior and trust in Jesus and Jesus alone. And early on after he became a Christian, he noticed that automatically all these desires and struggles didn't go away. That He had to make a choice here. Am I going to trust what Jesus says about me over what I feel inside? Or am I going to do what I used to do and and chase after these these existential feelings inside that are here one day and gone tomorrow? And it's the same struggle many of us, right? We we all face that on some level. I was uh, talking with Austin. I'll read just part of a text that he sent me a few weeks ago after we sat down um, just to talk about his faith. He said this, this was after um, a recent post. I wrote a blog about um, same-sex marriage. Some of you read that and just said, you know, as a a church, we have to handle this the best we can as Jesus would have us handle it. And he actually went and read it and sent me a text. And so he said this, Um, he said, the sad thing is that most people don't want to hear anything that makes them feel like they can't do certain things. I think he just wrapped up a lot of our lives in our hearts, right? I don't like to read things that tell me I can't do this thing I want to do. This thing that I feel like I deserve or it will make me happy. He said, because even in my own thoughts, this was a question he used to ask himself before he became a Christian. How come some people get to be married, right? If the Bible's true and these people with, 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 um, who, who are heterosexual get to be married and those who have homosexual tendencies don't get to be married, how, how is that fair? He said, he said, "I used to wrestle with that question." He said, "But I, now I truly trust God's word, and I abide in by what it. Excuse me. I truly trust God's word and by, abide by what is and what is not sin. I let God's word tell me what is sin and not sin, rather than what I feel on the inside." And he shares how he has a broken heart for those who aren't coming to Jesus because they feel like. The Bible's going to tell them what to do, and they don't see that there's a joy to be had in that. He says, my heart breaks for them. And so I have a broken heart for people that wish to be happy with the people they love in the wrong way. But I'm trying to step up for God and put my desires for him above my worldly pleasures. And what a beautiful expression of somebody who says, I have these inward struggles, but I don't trust in those. My inward struggles don't define who I am. Jesus gets to define who I am. I was uh, just reading his Twitter post, Austin's Twitter, and some of you know who he is and maybe follow him on on Twitter. Um, Just his excitement over being baptized today. Uh, A few days ago he said, I'm so excited to get baptized this Sunday. And then this post came out yesterday, I've read every single word and book in the New Testament the day before I'm going to be baptized. Hashtag, goals met, hashtag, love you, Jesus. So so what does it mean to hold fast to the confession of our hope? It means to trust in God's word and what God says about you through his word, above and beyond what you feel on the inside or how you want to define yourself. This doesn't just apply to Austin. This applies to me and to you on a daily basis. We wouldn't rest in our own ability to, to decide what's best for us. And so I think it's important for us to note If you're taking notes, my relationship with God is founded on the unchangeable truth of the Bible. Why is that important? Because basing our relationships on emotions and feelings can be very futile and misleading. There are some days when I wake up, I don't feel honored to be invited into the presence of God. I'm just telling you that. I don't. There are some days I wake up and I don't feel excited about going to spend time with Jesus. Now, I can either trust in that feeling or I can trust in what is true, right? In that moment, I can make a decision. Do I just want to go with what I feel on the inside, discard Jesus, discard the truth of his word, live life for me today? Or do I want to say, you know what, I'm not going to trust in that. I'm not going to believe that lie. Sometimes I, I, I will wake up and I'll feel like, you know what, if I just spend time with God, it's going to be a waste of time. He's not going to speak to me. My heart's not going to be moved. And, I, and, I, and these lies are trying to creep in like, don't waste your time. I can believe that, I can submit to that, or what? I can say, you know what? I choose not to listen to the voices in my head. I choose to listen to the voice of a holy God who has spoken through his word. What does it look like to hold fast to a confession? That's what it looks like. In every decision of every moment, you ask yourself, am I gonna listen to the voices in my head or am I gonna listen to the voice of Jesus? Hold fast to the confession of your hope because he is faithful. My relationship with God must be founded on The unchangeable truth of his word. Because what's happening inside of me emotionally changes with the wind. Right? I mean, I I eat a bad burrito at Taco Cost. All of a sudden, I'm in a bad mood. right? The, the, The smallest, most subtle things can change the way I feel on the inside. And we're being called to anchor ourselves in something that doesn't change and doesn't shift with every wind of change. Verse 24. Let us us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. First thing I would note, this is written during the time of the first century church, I mean, the church is brand new, and they're already tempted to neglect meeting together. So that's not a new struggle, which tells me what? that It's inerrant within us to struggle, right, with with holding fast to this invitation to enter into God's presence together, together with his people. There's this temptation, right, to say what? Just me and Jesus, we can handle this. I don't need to go to church today. You know what? Busy schedule this week. We don't need to go to life group this week. Oh, man, it's men's ministry this week. Man, I've had a rough week. You know what? I deserve just to go home and kick back and kick my shoes off. And, and what? We, we tell ourselves these things. Well, what's interesting about these, this passage here is, first of all, this word neglect, the word neglect here means to abandon, leave behind, or desert. You feel what's implied here? So when I choose to not meet with you, it's not just me choosing between option A or B. I'm actually neglecting you. I'm abandoning you. Now think about that. That's a pretty strong word, isn't it? Right? My church attendance isn't just this lighthearted thing to take lightly. But when I choose to not meet with you in whatever format it is, whether it's Sunday morning, a small group format, a men's or women's ministry, whatever it is, when I choose to not be with you, my brothers and sisters in Christ, I'm neglecting you, I'm abandoning you, I'm leaving you behind, I'm deserting you. Implying what? We're supposed to walk in community. Now, the, this first verse says two things. We stir one another up to love and good works. And we're going to pull that apart and talk about each one. But first and foremost... This stir one another up is a really interesting word. It actually is a neutral word, so it can be used negatively or positively. Negatively, it means to get into like a heated argument, one that escalates, right? I promise, I don't know uh, what happened in your marriage this morning, but some of you know firsthand, right? Have a fresh idea what this looks like. When somebody says something that stirs something up, and then they say something back, and then before you know it, right, boom, bonfire, escalating. It's the same word used to describe the issue that uh, Paul had with uh, John Mark. And, and it says that between uh, Paul and Barnabas, because Paul said, you know what, John Mark abandoned us, we're not taking him with us this time. Barnabas said, no, let's, let's take him with us. And it said that Paul and Barnabas had this stirring up or this strong, these strong words of dissension between them. So it can be a negative, right? And we get a good mental image. Now, Now take that and transfer it to a positive example. So it's not just you and I walking up to one another saying, how are you doing? I'm fine. It's a a conversation that escalates. And the same way it can escalate in a negative fashion, you and I are to stir one another up, to enter into community with one another in a way that it escalates in a positive fashion. We stir one another up, not in argument, not in heated debate, but instead to what? To love and good works. And Think about that. In the same way, right, that person can set you off and all of a sudden you're saying things in a way you don't mean to say them. Just quickly, all that emotion is involved. Now, in the same way, with the same vigor and escalation and, and passion, right, we would do that for one another in a good way. To love in good works. The first thing I would say here is none of this can happen, if what? If we neglect if I abandon you and I don't show up, whether that's a, a time we have together set aside at Starbucks on a Tuesday morning or it's Sunday morning in here, if I abandon you, if I desert you, there's no way we can fulfill the rest of these verses. We're out. Right? The point of this is let us come together and not neglect one another. So what we do here on Sunday mornings is so important in fulfilling not just the, what the scriptures are calling out here, but what we are inerrantly created to do, to walk in community with one another in the presence of God. My relationship with Jesus is dependent. It's dependent on gathering together with other believers in worship. It's dependent on it. There's only so far I can go by myself. I need to be with you, and you need to be with me. We need to be with one another. What we do here on Sunday mornings, right? It's not just putting on a show, this is a biblical mandate to come and gather together in worship. But we're also called to stir one another up in love, which implies what? Relationship. I think this is so important when we look at the, the things that we're called to do as a church, especially discipleship. Um, if we're not careful and we, we, we put on a program of discipleship that has no relational basis, all we're doing really is lecturing. I think we're missing right, the context for which we're supposed to teach one another, encourage one another, that it's supposed to be embodied in love. This is the Great Commission. Make disciples. Is there a teaching component to making disciples? You better believe there is. Again, whether you and I are sitting down one-on-one over coffee, and and you're opening God's Word, and you're showing me the truth of His Scripture, you're teaching me, or we're getting together in a a small group setting, and and we're opening God's Word, and we're teaching one another, allowing it to teach us, or it's Sunday morning, and, and we're opening God's Word in the same fashion. There's a teaching component to discipleship, but we're to stir one another up, Not just in lecturing, but in what? In love. There should be a love that encompasses, a relationship that encompasses our relationship with one another. Is it just about hanging out? Nope. Is it just about teaching? No. It's about being together, sharing truth and life experiences with one another. This is what I believe truly defines the essence of Christian community. At Solid Rock, our vision, you've heard this over and over again on the video, is that we... We want to make disciples for Jesus through what? Gathering together in worship. It's a really important component. Growing together in community. Not just hanging out, but growing. We've got to grow. Growing together in community. So see, the, this passage here is calling us to not neglect or abandon this invitation to stir one another up in a positive way. In love. For me, this is the way I think about it. The, the church is, is really... Supposed to be a garden in which true friendships can grow. And if all we do is show up in here on Sunday mornings for an hour, hour and a half, and I get all dressed up and you get all dressed up and we walk in and I say, hey, it's good to see you. How are you? And you say, oh, fine. How was your week? Good. How was your week? Good. And you sit down and I sit down and we start singing. I get up and preach. You get up and sing at the end. You walk out and I meet you back there. Oh, good to see you this morning. So good to see you. I hope to see you back next week. I'll be back next week. And then you walk out the door. We can, we've missed it. Right? We didn't stir one another up. right? We didn't hold fast our confession together. The church, our gathering together, whether it's one-on-one, small group setting, a big group setting, is to be a garden. Think about it that way. In which true friendships can grow. True relationships. Every time you show up here, God is working on you. He's working on us together. My relationship with Jesus is dependent on growing together with other believers in community. This is how we were designed to grow. If you ever find yourself slipping into that mindset, I don't need the church, they're just a bunch of hypocrites. This is what I would say to you, you're you're right, we are a bunch of hypocrites, but please come join us, won't you? Please, come join us. We need you, 1 Corinthians 12. If you're not here, a significant piece of the body is missing. A significant piece of work that the Holy Spirit is doing in you that is meant to fit together with the body. Unless 1 Corinthians 12 is wrong, we just need to cut it out of our Bible. Paul says what? What? Every believer has been gifted by the Holy Spirit to do what? To serve with the rest of the body as the church. Our relationship with Jesus is dependent upon growing together with other believers in community. And not only do we stir one another in love, we stir one another up in love, what we stir one another up to good works. Now, before we get the wrong version in our mind, again, we don't go to the checklist, and you walk in, and I say, well, you know, how many times did you share the gospel this week? And and we we check one another off in that way. But there should be something about coming together that stirs one another up to be on mission in our our everyday lives, not in a competition, not in a harsh legalistic system, but to, to stir one another up. Think about it this way. Um, this, is the, this work here is the same word that Jesus used to describe his own ministry in John 17. He says, And this is eternal life, that they know you talking to God, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you sent. I glorify you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. That's what we're supposed to be stirring one another up to do. That same work that Jesus was doing here on earth. How do we do that? We stir one another up. We build intentional relationships with the people in our lives in order to share what? The immeasurable love, the inexhaustible grace of Jesus. Um, think of it this way. Um, I love how Romans 10 lays this out um, in terms of our work as Christ followers living on mission. Uh, in Romans 10, after explaining that it's those who believe and confess who are saved, and everybody who calls on the, Lord, on the name of the Lord will be saved, some rhetorical questions follow from Paul. He says, What? How are they going to. Believe in whom they have not heard. And how are they going to hear unless somebody proclaims it? And how is somebody going to proclaim if they aren't sent? And then this beautiful verse from Romans 10, it's the last part of verse 15. As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. When you hear that verse, you need to think about the church living on mission. How beautiful are the feet of the people of God when they live their lives on mission. So I don't know what your mission field is, but I know you've been given one. Your neighborhood, the people around you, the people you work with, even people in your family. God has given you a community to walk out your faith in, right? And, and not, again, not part of a legalistic system to impress God or to pay him back for dying on the cross for you. But like when we get together, we're supposed to stir one another up to go do that. There's something about having been here with the church when you leave out of here causes you to want to be what? on mission. What what does that mean? It means that you have experienced something so sweet and beautiful in here that you think this way. I want people who don't know this love to come know this love. I want people who don't know about this invitation to hear this invitation. I want people with a skewed perspective of God, of people who who, who are, are living in a sense of darkness and hopelessness. I want them to know the hope we have in Jesus. That's what it means to live on mission, that you would Out of those motives, take the hope you have and share it with people one-on-one at Starbucks, right across the wall of your cubicle, people in your family, people in your neighborhood. And I would say this, my relationship with Jesus is dependent upon living the mission in my everyday life. Think about it that way. How can I have a relationship with Jesus when he says, come to me, I will... Not only forgive all your sins, I'll restore your relationship with me. I'll put in you my spirit, and then I will give you this beautiful purpose here on earth to live out my mission. And when we neglect that mission, we're neglecting part of the invitation, aren't we? Jesus is saying, listen, here's what I'm doing on earth. Come join me. Come find in me this this joy that, that, that doesn't go away. This hope that can't be shrouded by the difficulties of this life, come join me, won't you? And then join me in taking this same hope to the world. I think when we hear the word mission, we so often think about mission trip or mission event. We don't realize this is like, this is the essence of my relationship with God, that I'm living on mission. And so Hebrews reminds us to not neglect meeting together, verse 25 as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. should be a sense of urgency that comes out of our time together. This, this hope we have in Jesus, not only is it good, it's urgent that we would want to share it with others. So by fully trusting in the finished work of Jesus on the cross, God has invited us to draw near to him in full assurance that he will take hold of our lives and lead us towards maturity in Christ, through the work that Jesus has done on our behalf, we can now walk, we can now walk in an intimate relationship with God. Our relationship with God is based upon the truth of the Bible and it's dependent upon walking in fellowship with other believers, in worship, and in community, and mission. I'll just share this with you up front. Just a side note. If you ever come to me for counseling, don't be surprised when I begin to ask about these areas of your life. Why? Because this is the way your life was designed to work in Christ. These are the elements that are supposed to be present in your life. And so I'm going to ask you, are you walking in community? Who who are the Christian brothers and sisters around you who stir you up? I don't care about your church attendance so that we can mark off a list, but I'm going to ask you, what is is your worship experience like? Are Are you participating in a church that sings the gospel over you and stirs your heart up to the confession Of your hope and I'm going to ask you about the mission and for a lot of us we think well once my life is on track then I'll live the mission Jesus saying no 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 like I want to work through you right now in your brokenness I want to invite more broken people in in your not togetherness I want to invite more people who don't have it together Don't wait until you get it down, until you're perfect. I want to use you and work through you right now to lead people into a relationship with me. I want to pray for us now. and um, We're going to pick this back up in Hebrews 10, verse 26, which is going to bring up some interesting questions. And then right into chapter 11. And then we'll have one more sermon in Hebrews after that. And then we'll be uh, shifting our focus to Revelation for the rest of the year. So um, I want to pray for us now. Um, I I sense two things possibly in the room. One, um, those of you who who are Christians here today, like myself, there's a challenge, right? To to, kind of reset, recalibrate, rethink about our relationship with God and our time with him. That we wouldn't just walk out of here committing, I'm going to read the Bible every day this week. But that we would walk out of here excited about the opportunity we have to spend time with God each day this week excited god i can't wait until that moment that i've set aside i'm excited about it to open your word and to hear from you i'm so excited about that god i just feel so honored and privileged that you would invite me in and and, and that i feel like it would be important for us to, to reset our minds this morning to think that way before we leave out of here and for those of us i mean for those of you who maybe you aren't a christian i hope that today you have heard the beautiful invitation to come as you are. God's character causes him to love us when we're unlovable. You don't have to fix yourself up to have this relationship. God says, come to me as you are. I love you enough to take you just like you are, and I love you so much, here's the thing, I won't leave you as you are. I'll start working in your life immediately, there will be some struggles that remain, but I'm going to walk with you on a daily basis. You're going to have access to my presence, my spirit living inside of you, and we're going to be working this thing out struggle by struggle. going to go through it doubt by doubt. We're going to go through it temptation by temptation. and Every day, working on you, working on you, working in you and through you. And That invitation is open for every person today, that anyone who would call on the name of the Lord will be saved be rescued the father is standing here right saying here's all I need you to do just reach up reach up and take hold of me and and, and here's what's going to happen I'm going to take hold of you I'm going to hold you tightly in my love I'm going to hold you tightly in my mercy I'm going to draw you in like a father draws in a child I'm going to hold you there are going to be days where you'd rather be somewhere else I'm going to hold on to you there going to be days where you're excited about me and that's going to be awesome. There's going to be days where you're struggling and maybe you get mad at me. That's okay. I'm going to love you like a father loves a child. And that invitation is open today that by faith you would draw near to God and say, I believe. I believe that Jesus is the son of God and I believe he's died for my sins and given me this relationship with God. So let me pray for us now as the worship team comes back up. Father, what a beautiful opportunity to open your word this morning, to see, God, your heart, to live and fellowship, God, with your people. And most days, God, we still don't look like your people. And we're so thankful that your character, your nature, chooses to love us anyway. And Father, this morning I want to pray for every person in this room that today would not be a day of lip service, would not be a day of going through the motions, but, but God, in this moment right now, God, you would awaken our hearts, open our eyes to see. Help us to truly see you as you are, beautiful, glorious, powerful, sovereign, and help us, God, to once again... Respond to this beautiful invitation to draw near. God, we pray for those who don't know you. That today would be the day that they would draw near in salvation. Trust in Jesus and Jesus alone. Father, we pray this in Jesus' powerful name.